softly loud and hold me warm against your heart. I hear your words, the tender trembling moments die. Welcome, everybody. Another episode of Hollywood Godfather Podcast. That book that just stops, never stops giving. My writer, Pat Picciarelli, co-writer and friend and co-host. All those things. How you All doing? those things. Yeah. And Megan Horan. <sighs> Love it. The beautiful Megan Horan. Horan, uh, yes. You're Haran. very close. Horan. 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 There we go. Oh, we go. So, where were we? We were talking about a guy who I, I really liked a guy named Ned Day last week. Yeah. And fortunately, we ran out of time because he's that colorful. And for the people who didn't listen to last week's show, you can go back and listen to it. But we'll bring you up to date. I mean, this is a guy that came to town and basically started, uh, he was a columnist. But he was like an investigative reporter type columnist. He's not reporting on celebrities who are performing in town on stage. And he was reporting on celebrities hanging out with Johnny Russo at Jubilation, with Paul Anker and everybody else, and burying people with their sarcasm, his sarcasm. You know, he came from a time where uh, uh, reporters could make a big splash if they were uncovering dirt. Walter Winchell's of the world, and a little uh, later, uh, around the time uh, Ned was doing his thing, Jack Anderson was doing his thing in Washington, D.C. And these are mega celebrities. I mean, Walter Winchell, uh, I mean, everybody listened to Winchell. I mean, he was huge back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Who's that guy you mean in New York? Yeah, it still writes about the mob in the Post. Uh, Well, it used to be Gary Capici. Yeah, he's not around him? No, he, he's got his own uh, website that's, uh, you have to get a subscription to his website. I think it costs $10 a month. He just does mob stuff. I he know, but he's, with, he talked about everybody. Uh, he wrote, he, he wrote quite a few books. Uh, he wrote one about Gotti. He wrote one called The uh, Murder Machine about, uh, what was that crazy guy in uh, Brooklyn who was uh, whacking people in his club? Oh, uh, Mayo. Roy yeah, DeMeo. Yeah, yeah. Right. Roy DeMeo. No, he's, he knows his stuff. The stuff in his column, in in, uh, in Jerry's column, uh, usually precedes any press conferences. What the cops know, what comes out in in the uh, in the print media, he's up on. In fact, when I was uh, writing my first book, I needed some information about an old mob hit, and I contacted him, and I didn't know the guy. I just sent him an email, and he sent me back reams of stuff. I mean, pages and pages. Wow. Uh, answering my question, very nice guy. Who was that other uh, guy, anyway, Breslin? Wasn't there another guy, Breslin? Yeah, Jimmy Breslin. Jimmy Breslin, uh, that's the guy I remember. He wrote about well, me Jimmy a couple Breslin times. was, he was a, this is when uh, newspaper men were characters. You know, I mean, uh, newspapers were huge. Now they're nothing. But uh, back then, uh, Jimmy Breslin, uh, he was a sarcastic guy. He wrote the book, The, the, the Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight, right. based on uh, based on Joey Gallo and his brothers. Yeah. He fictional. But, uh, he he, uh, his uh, star arose when the son of Sam, who was a serial killer in uh, New York in the seventies, started writing letters to Jimmy Breslin. Every week, he would write a letter to Jimmy, who would publish it in the uh, in a daily news. Then he worked, I believe, he worked for the Post afterward. 
but uh, he just would uh, would correspond with Jimmy Breslin. That was it. He would tell him, this is a serial killer, telling him what he's going to do, who he's going to kill, all these crazy poems and symbols. Uh, him and Breslin were tight. <laughs> Breslin didn't know who he was. No one knew who he was. Wow. But, That's uh, funny. Breslin, I forgot Jimmy Breslin wrote the gang that sh- couldn't shoot straight because... Jimmy Breslin used to be a, uh, a fixture on Queens Boulevard. It was a Jewish deli there. He used to hang out in it right across from the courthouse. And he had a lot of uh, a lot of contacts. He would break stories before anybody else did. No, but uh, how we he he crossed our lives. I always have you know some some way of falling into these people's lives. When he wrote the gang that couldn't shoot straight, a friend of mine, Kirk Kikorian, was producing it, and another friend of mine had Sidney Korshak had to call him up and threaten him. This is a bit of trivia history because he wouldn't release Al Pacino to Bobby Evans to play Michael because he already signed Pacino to star in the gang that couldn't shoot straight. Was that a movie? Was it made? I don't recall. Oh yeah, it was made big, but I'll tell you why. What happened was Bobby Evans said, let me call, you know, Sidney Korshak, Mr. Fix-It. And he called Kurt Kikorian immediately. And he said, Kurt, you got to release Pacino. He said, I ain't releasing Pacino to Bobby Evans. He didn't say it that way, but I won't tell you what he said. And he said, well, I'll tell you right now, you're building the biggest hotel in Las Vegas right now. If you want to start having some union problems and shutdowns, you release him right now, and I'm telling you to release him. And Kirk Kikorian took the order immediately. He called up Bobby Evans. He said, you lowlife, you went to, you know, our friend, and here you can have him. And why I find it funny, because my good friend at the time was supposed to be in the movie The Godfather as Sonny. And he was Carmine Caridi in a play on Broadway, they thought it should be a big guy. So they gave him the lead, swapped him out in the, in the gang that couldn't shoot straight. Oh, I remember. I, I knew Carmine pretty well. He was. He was no, but nice what guy. I'm saying, so now you can imagine this guy, he wound up with a movie, like you said, you didn't even know it was made. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that, that's what they threw him. They, I, I recall them throwing him the, the bone. They felt bad for him because he had the part in The Godfather. Right. And one of one of the problems were also he was too tall. Oh my God, he's six three. Pacino was a midget, and they didn't want them standing next to each other. Pacino would have to stand on three soapboxes. No, to, to, well, no, they had so to give Jimmy Con. They had to yeah. give Jimmy Con, Sonny, because they already signed Jimmy as Michael. That yeah. was a big fiasco, but you know, it's uh, that's another show. <laughs> yes, Ned Day. Uh, was born and raised in Milwaukee. His father was a professional bowler who was also uh, rumored to have connections with the Milwaukee mob. Now, and, you're talking uh, about a bowler that goes to lanes and rolls a ball. A professional bowler, yes. I didn't know they uh, had them. <laughs> yes, they, they do. When I, was, when I was a kid, bowling was a big thing. We used to have uh, uh, shows on Sunday, uh, professional bowlers, bowling tournaments. That's all gone now. But anyway... Uh, Ned Day uh, did some work for the uh, Milwaukee mob, uh, which at the time was controlled by 
Frank Bellisteri. Did you know that his street name was Fancy Pants? Yep. I, I know. That. I knew Frank anyway, Bellisteri. The whole all the Bellisteri brothers. I know them well. They Why ran they Milwaukee. Him, why'd they call him Fancy Pants? Do you know? Because he always his clothing was amazing. He'd wear he pink pants, pants with the with the with the side stitches. Remember the stitches going down the side during yeah. those times. This guy dressed like no mobster you ever thought. So they nicknamed him Fancy Pants. <laughs> Why not? Anyway, Mr. Fancy Pants had uh, Las Vegas connections, and he suggested to Ned, what are you wasting your time in Milwaukee for when you come to Vegas where it's happening? You want to make a name for yourself? Of course, Ballesteri didn't know that he was going to make a name for himself by uh, uh, trying to do exposés on the mob. Uh, but anyway... Well, Frank uh, Ballesteri told him to do that? Ballesteri told him to go to Vegas. That's all. He oh. had no idea that when oh. he got oh. there, he was going to do what he did. He well, wanted... you know why? Because Ned used to hang out at the Crown Room at the Fista Hotel where they were every night. And he'd, he'd write about me even. I, I, I performed there right after The Godfather. I was in the Crown Room. So Ned, that's what he was doing. So maybe that's what Frank meant. Go there. There's so many celebrities. You could expand yeah. Yeah, and be, become something Yeah, what, what, what he meant was, you know, Vegas is a prime area for celebrities. And when a celebrities, there's news. Why waste your time in, uh, in Milwaukee writing yeah. a column no one's ever going to read? Now Go to I Vegas and make Having no idea what he was actually going to do there, which was uh, expose uh, uh, some mob secrets. And as you said in, in the last hour, for those of you who didn't listen to the last show, uh, Day was warned many times. Oh, my God, out. by everybody. And he didn't do it. Anyway, uh, he goes to Vegas. And he gets to know a guy named Mike Maxiculi, uh, who uh, also urged him to move there. And in, uh, in, in 76, he did. He, uh, he, he moved to Vegas and he started to work for the Valley Times, uh, which is a North Las Vegas paper. Was that the paper you couldn't find? I don't know. I, I don't. I never read the paper to begin with, but I, I, okay. for some reason, I thought he worked for The Sun. No, the Valley Times first. Then he went to the Review Times. Journal, which was the bigger paper. Well, a, a lot about what is uh, what's what's known about the, the mob in, in Las Vegas uh, was uh, that day writing about it. Right. So the average American could see what's going on in Vegas. He wrote about uh, the skimming at the Tropicana, the uh, mob involvement in, uh, in the Aladdin and the Dunes. No, oh, yeah. Uh, and, 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 that, and that was St. Louis. I mean, uh, 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 when, he, when he started picking on the Aladdin, I mean, Sarkis Webby was a front for St. Louis, and he was running it. And they, they called St. Louis, just calm this guy down. Was he crazy? Because that's when they were trying to merge. When there was, if you remember, my memory serves me right, they sold it to Wayne Newton as a partnership because he was such the biggest draw in the world that he'd be in there and he could down have to pay him. But he, he squashed that deal. Well, He's also doing stories on Lefty Rosenthal, who was, you know, he, he was a gambler, but he also did stories on Tony Spilatro, quite oh, a few of them. And that, that, that's Spilatro. what really, I think, got his demise. Yeah. So uh, other than what we mentioned in, in last week's show, what other uh, involvement or encounters did you have with him? I had them constantly with him. No matter where I was, he'd show up. And I was very nice to the guy because I didn't care. 
And, you know, even, even I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, him writing the last column on me was, he saved me 20 years in prison. Maybe Megan should read that to our audience. This is a, a piece of a column after I got my use permit to build my hotel. And uh, there was a big article that he snuck. He wasn't supposed to even show this. I don't know how he got it, but he did put it in the newspaper. All right. It says, you may not have heard about another starring performance by the impeccably tan Mr. Russo. This one in the all-new Joe Augusto tapes, produced and directed by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. In this perfectly cast role, Russo plays a two-bit flake hustler, long on con but short of cash. He hangs around fashionable discotheques, star sniffers, and dim-witted, excuse me, dim-witted bimbos with his grandiose plan to build a Las Vegas casino hotel. Would you like me to continue? Oh, please, yeah. <laughs> It goes on to say, he points to a vacant lot at the corner of Harmon Avenue and Koval Lane, hinting at his financing, quote-unquote, connections back east. Fade in on a meeting which takes place in Kansas City last fall. The participants are Casey, Godfather, Uncle Nick Savella, Joe Augusto, Carl Savella, and Carl DeLuna. In the conversation, Savella remarks about a little article on Russo, and Carl Savella responds. He called the other day. He said he's coming in Tuesday, dot, 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 with a friend. Augusto reports to the Savellas. Yeah, I know this John Russo. He doesn't have a good reputation in Vegas. I want you to know about it. Augusto goes on to discourage Savella from investing in Russo's hotel project, noting that the resort would be located off the strip and that it wouldn't have enough rooms to make any serious money. Savella says, all right, I'll see what this Russo, when he comes, we'll see uh, what he's got. And then if he's got anything that sounds good, like it's got any dot, dot, dot. Augusto says, but if Russo doesn't have money, Savella says, yeah, DeLuna, he doesn't have any money. Augusto, huh? DeLuna, he doesn't got any money. Augusto, he has little money, you said. DeLuna, no, he's good for investors. Augusto, again, discourages the idea, telling the Kansas City boys that only a fool would give $30 million to build it. Fade out on Las Vegas matinee idol, gazing forlorningly at his empty lot. Russo's budding career as a gaming industry mogul reportedly has suffered a severe setback stemming from the Gaming Control Board's poor review of his Kansas City performance. So what do you have to say about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I mean, for our audience, anybody who has a brain would say he should have waited till I took the drawdown. So once he wrote that column, everybody called me from everywhere hmm. saying... You're going to get indicted. I said, well, I'm going to get indicted for on that tape. I said, so I'll be on the tape. I already made up my mind. I'm not going to take a nickel. Plus, so how did he even get this? Sorry, how did he even get this conversation? I, I don't know, but you could see it's an, FBI, it's an FBI wiretap. How would you think, right. Pat? He's got, uh, he's got a, a source in the FBI. However, you, you use the source. You don't burn the source. He just burned the source by by uh, putting a, a verbatim conversation in a newspaper. Well, I, mean, I think they, they, he hated me so much. He just wanted to put out my fire any way I, he could. I mean, and well, that's he wound up that putting out he, he wound up putting out his own fire. And talking about fires, uh, Spilosho told him to back off uh, because uh, uh, 
Ned called him a fire plug. And Spilosha got really pissed off, and he blew up that day's car. Oh, I know. Yeah, okay, but fortunately, uh, uh, Ned wasn't in it. They described this incident as of his car blowing up uh, as the happiest day in my life when the mob firebombed my car. Days of fixation with the mob may, may have had something to do with the firebombing. Well, no kidding. But <laughs> no, he, was, the, he had a death the wish. Mob, the mob actually puts Ned Day on the map. So that's why it was the happiest day in his life. Uh, Ned knows that whatever he's doing, he's getting under the mob's skin. What he didn't realize is that will give you so much leeway. Uh, you know, you got to stop what you're doing before their uh, patience runs out. And yeah, so he didn't seem scared of them, did he? No. I, I mean, I don't know why he didn't, because I've seen, I've seen Spalacho just about bitch smack him. That's how close he was to his face and, and curse him out in public. And he'd just smile and walk away. Day, funny you should bring that up, but uh, Day winds up uh, making light of the car bombing. Now, he could have easily been in that car, but he got a pass. Right. They wanted to show him what they could do, blow up his car. Yeah, I think that's was a warning, you know, that they could have blew him up yeah, in their the car if they wanted. The next time we, uh, we we blow up your car, you'll be in it. Yeah. But <laughs> he, he didn't pay attention. The guy, he just didn't pay attention. No, but I'm talking about a lot of, even at State Street, because they knew he was coming. I've seen a lot of guys go stand next to him, and I don't know what they would say, and I didn't want to know, but he didn't care. He really well, didn't he did. care. He, he said he, uh, the uh, information I have, he, he would be rough and critical of everyone from entertainers uh, he disliked to uh, governors and politicians that disagreed with him. He could be sentimental in his way, but uh, mainly about people he saw as better than himself, average folks making a living out of the limelight or even on his edges. He could be funny. Uh, Max, uh, Max Cooley was the inspiration for uh, uh, columns about things happening locally and the information coming from somebody he called Mickey the Mope, who I would imagine was his... Oh, yeah, he uh, used him as a, as a source, but he wasn't really about giving up somebody, the real guy. Was that a real guy? or he just No, made he up? made him up. Okay, yeah. Uh, okay, here you go. In uh, 1981, he moved from the Valley Times to the Review Journal. Yep, that he was a big his, move. Yeah, he, well, he, he ended his, his uh, daily columns with, I thought you'd like to know, I'm Ned Day. Yeah, I mean. So he was really making sure people know his name, huh? Oh, yeah. Guy, <laughs> okay. Well, apparently, uh, somebody got fed up with the guy because, as Gianni had mentioned last week, He's going on vacation, tells the world where he's going. And uh, he's going out of the out of the continental United States. He's going to Hawaii. But if it was a prime place and we're going to whack this guy, we're going to do it where our law enforcement isn't really involved with what we do and don't wouldn't know how to handle it. He was a certified uh, scuba diver. Uh, Ned Day was. And uh, on September 3rd, uh, 1987, he went snorkeling. And he drowned in three feet of water. His uh, death, he was 42. His uh, death was uh, officially ruled as natural from a heart attack. Well, you know why? The two guys that were holding him down, he started losing <laughs> his breath and he had a heart attack. And, and, and his heart gave out. <laughs> I mean, there's a guy, you, know, you have to wonder when your ego gets so big that you don't realize your life is at stake. 
Well, not only that, going to Hawaii, if he did his homework, they were so wired with people in the mainland that would do favors for anybody. And Hawaii also, was a say, perfect place for him to go. I'm sorry. When you say he told the whole world where he was going, what does that even mean? What, did he publish it in the newspaper? He did he have yeah. a personal column at that point? You, well, I, I can remember the column. The column. He said, you, yeah. I won't have a column this week. I'm going to Hawaii to scuba dive, so I'll, you won't be reading my column. And if you're in Hawaii, I'm staying at this hotel. So not, you know, was he a, setting himself up? That seems a little. That seems a little. Strange. He was throwing it. No, when you, you don't understand his ego, you wouldn't dare. You know, there's, there was a rule in the in the mob. Don't touch cops or reporters. Oh yeah. Never. Uh, uh, except for one, uh, there was, uh, there was a reporter in Chicago named Jake Lingle, L-I-N-G-L-E, who, uh, mm-hmm. was in with the mob. Uh, he was heavily involved with, uh, with, with Capone and his people, but he started to, uh, to write things in his comp that he shouldn't have wrote and Capone had him killed. And as far as I know, that's the only time a report has ever been killed, uh, outright killed. I mean, they assassinated him, they shot him up. Uh, this guy, at least they disguised his uh, how he died. So what was it? What was the the straw that broke the camel's back? Do you think for the mob that made them really want to take this guy out? Well, I, think it, was, I think it was Tony Spilatro. You don't okay. play with Tony. Tony was nuts. I mean, why, why I'm alive is only because of Cardo. If I didn't have a Cardo, they would have killed me. I, I remember a guy who just died, no less. And I never said who was in the car. I could say it now, or maybe I shouldn't. But I used to take my staff when it closed, 6 o'clock in the morning, not in the summertime, because I used to go to my boat in the summertime on Lake Mead. But in the wintertime, I'd take my staff to Pizza Palo somewhere. That, you know, there was like 10, 15 of us meet us at this place. And we'd go have pizza or breakfast somewhere, and I, I, you know, just my thank you to them. So I re- never forget it. We're in a, uh, a pizza parlor in Maryland Square Shopping Center. It was a big parking lot, and I always had great cars. And I never wanted to park them parallel because people get drunk, they open their doors and ding my car. And I always had a driver with me. And that night I had Ralphie with me. And this guy, I took him out of Gene Prison. I started a culinary school. <laughs> of course. In Gene Prison, years ago when I opened my restaurants, because I re- realized the back of the house is the most expensive part of the restaurant, the chefs, anybody. So I went to Gene Prison and said, do you have a culinary school? They said, no. I said, I'd like to do a culinary school gratis to me, to you, and only white-collar crime, not violent crime people. I don't want them. And Gene Prison was like, you know, 30 miles out of Vegas. And why I did it, because I checked on that, I would get a tax deduction because I'm helping rehab criminals. And they used to deliver to me dishwashers, solid, all on the sheriff's bus from the prison every day. 
Long story short, Ralph was one of those guys. So when he got paroled, I signed his parole paper saying, I'll give him a job so he can get out. And he always used to say, I'd give my life for you, boss. For what you did for me, you gave me a new beginning. I said, Ralphie, please don't ever have to give your life. Don't worry. And I got him an apartment also in the Marie Antoinette. I had my driver. I had all these people over there. It was like insane. One night, we're coming, and I'm walking to my car, which was like almost in the middle of the Maryland Square shopping center. It was on uh, um, Maryland Square between that and like Desert Inn Road, right there, I mean, right in the heart of town. And a car starts rolling slowly down without his lights on. And I'm saying to myself, this don't look good. <laughs> and all of a sudden the car is not rolling, it's heading towards us. And Ralphie throws me to the ground and takes four shots. And he died in my arms. And he said, I told you, I'd take a bullet for you. Oh, it's like a, like an old movie. Is that crazy? Well, this was on Spilatro's orders. You, you really pissed them off. And, then, and I do not know this from the research. Oh, yeah, Spilatro. I mean, you denied access to the club. And, and uh, for anybody else, they say, okay, I'm in, the, I'm, I'm in the Black Book. I can't go in your club. Have a nice day. But for Spilatro, it was a personal affront. Oh, no, he's like... Well, he had that, you know, he had that little man syndrome to begin with because he was a little man. Yeah. But, and he didn't realize what I was doing with Nick Nitty. And Nick Nitty was one of his closest friends and he was about to tell him either. It's one thing you don't tell, as you know, growing up I learned easily because I used to go to the club, the Raven Night and all that, and you hear the stories. You never tell them you're making money because <laughs> these yeah. guys would be all over you. They want it. They never knew what I was doing. They want a piece of you. They shake you down. I don't care who you're with. But the the straw with broke the camel's back with me is when he shot up my house on a Sunday, knowing I used to have Sunday dinner. I used to talk about it. Come to my house. They all knew a Sunday dinner is at Johnny's house. It was a big thing. And obviously, he was never being invited to that. <laughs> But the shooting in in the parking lot where Ralph was killed, I mean, it's it's pretty well known who who, who did the shooting. Yeah, who, Frank Collada. The guy's no longer alive. Frank Collada. That's the guy. That's so. the guy. He did yeah. all his work. And Frank Frank Collada moved into the Marie Antoinette just to watch us. But you know, they respected the the reason. They didn't jump on me sooner because not only I was around Chicago, but the Panaro brothers and, and the Cachis, they were all made guys out of California and Buffalo, New York. Yeah, I mean, so I, I was asked, obviously, by the police, did you see who did it? I said, no, because I wasn't starting to get in that game. Yeah. And especially, you know, but uh, and, and I and I waited, which was so funny, because not funny, but I mean, Frank Collada was a character in itself. I mean, this guy was talking about a street hood, and he grew up with Spilatro in Chicago, and well, he was, and he, was the, he was the head of the Hole in the Wall gang, which is a burglary crew. Spilatro wasn't making enough money; he created a burglary crew 
with all the guys from Chicago come there, and they were robbing houses. And why they call them the hole-in-the-wall gang, they used to cut holes in roofs and sides of buildings and rob stupid stores and stuff. Yeah, they did, they did the uh, pawnbrokers, jewelry stores. Oh, yeah. You know, but that just goes to show you, when you know we're talking about this guy, uh, Ned Day, what got him killed, it didn't take much uh, uh, to piss off uh, Anthony Spilotro. I mean, no. Uh, but he was warned. I know he was warned numerous times. He even talked about it in his columns. Uh, uh, you know, I must be having some effect on on, uh, on the mob in Vegas. Who was always telling me to lay off. Ha ha ha. Well, he found out the hard way. Yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, to me, I, I used to. I mean, I, I I used to tell a joke about that day. Unfortunately, when he died, and uh, after the autopsy came out because I wear a size nine shoe. And I, I said, you know, after the autopsy, I said, I'm surprised that the um, coroner didn't realize the impression of a, nine, a size nine shoe on his back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm surprised you didn't get a visit. Well, were, you, were you in Hawaii on the day in question? No, but I wasn't there. That's why I knew I, I could know. fool around with it. it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but anyway. Well, R.I.P. Ned Day. He could have had a long and fruitful life, but he died at forty-two because of his big mouth. Wow. Yeah, he was no—he was no Walter Winchell. If 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 Walter Winchell said something like that, or uh, Jack Anderson, they wouldn't have touched him. Oh, of course. But it, yeah, but uh, it, he wasn't Walter, and he wasn't Jack. He was Ned, and Ned had a goal before he got too big for his own. Uh, how own how old bridge. was he when he died? Because I knew he was a young man. Forty-two. Wow. What a shame. Yeah. Really a nice but, guy, though. Yeah. I mean, he used to come to my bar all the time. Yeah, well, but, did he have you know, a family? I couldn't find anything. No, he was nothing. He was never even married. Okay, that's why I never found anything about his family. Yeah, unfortunately. Okay, R.I.P. Ned. R.I.P. R.I.P. Ned. All right, so where are we now? We're going to take a break. We, oh, oh, you no, wait a minute. No, here's what we're going to do now. Talking about Ned Day, uh, one yes. of our tracks, I dedicated to Ned Day and him getting my hotel canceled and saving me from going to jail. So I want to okay. play that. We'll play him a taste. Okay, this is track eight on the uh, forthcoming uh, Hollywood Godfather rap album. Yep, our rap album, track eight. Enjoy it. It's the 80s. It's my time to party. I'm going to build something. This is the story of a dream of mine That I unfortunately had to leave behind I still think about it from time to time Cause if this would've went through, Vegas was mine The location was prime Between a hard rock and Bellagio I designed 
A hotel sure to blow your mind I can still see it in my mind 21 blackjack tables Four craps, Baccarat, big six wheel 750 slot machines Kino, oh what a casino 18,000 square feet Unbelievable, 650 rooms 23 stories, paradise In Coval Lane, she'd stand in her glory Renaissance Hotel in the Biggest lights, March 31st, 1980 The sickest night, two major Carnival tents, great music 500 people showed up to watch me do this the name of the party was can you dig it because in a couple minutes we break ground i did it but that would all change in a few days ironic it's midnight april fool's day speaking of fools reminds me of ned day that guy's hard on for the mob never went away okay let's talk about the funding at that time interest rates were 19 percent on construction i sat with ernst and young when we met they said 91 percent interest would service the debt yeah that's not gonna happen they're trying to make a killing i was done talking to civilians time for me to reach out to the guys who did all the big dealings right on the vegas strip where i was trying to build it the teamsters they were led by frank fitzsimmons jimmy hoffa had went to jail and lost position but see i knew the guys who were handling the pensions nick and corky savella kansas city commissioner of the family so i talked to them about my vision they agreed to fund it 73 million that's why i threw the party that's why i did the digging we'd all be in the lobby of the renaissance this is where ned day comes in a loser a lame writer trying to use the mob to get a name in hopes that all the exposure would get him far the mob constantly Okay, we're back. And if you want to buy that, Megan, tell them how to buy that track if they want. You can go to GianniRusso.com and it'll be available there. Perfect. Right? Isn't that what it is? Or this is your rap album? Isn't that going to be It's going to be on there too. Oh, yeah. No, it's going to be everywhere. I mean, if they don't buy it somewhere else, they can buy it directly from us. But if they're off hands, you know, they buy it from us. I see. Well, yes, I think that's what you mean. It's GiannoVerso.com. Right. So, so anyway, uh, Ned uh, finally found his fame. He's uh, immortalized in song. Yep. Yep. I and you know what I expected. And, and I'll give you the last line that I wrap in it. You know, I only say a couple of words, but the last line is, "He drowned in three foot of water," and that was that. And I come in and say, he always liked to swim with the fishes. Ah, yeah, get that there. Good. Yeah, well, his 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 name will live on forever now. He's in song. There you go. All right. I the guess we'll go bag. to the mailbag after this. Mailbag. Oh, we got to do a commercial again, right? Yeah. Right. Do a commercial. Time to make some money. And why I want to make money for the 50th anniversary of The Godfather... They've been so good to me, and I'm connected to Corleone Fine Italian Foods. We have gift boxes. We have sauce. We have Clemenza sauce in the jar. Imagine you could have Clemenza's meat sauce when he's showing Michael, just in case someday you got to cook for a big crew. This is how you make tomato sauce. We have it in a jar. Go to it. Corleone Fine Italian Foods. And you'll see it all. Today's show is being sponsored by Cordelion Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Cordelion Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, 
Genco Extra Virgin Olive Oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CorleoneFineItalian.com That's CorleoneFineItalian.com We're back. Okay. All right. Let's the mailbag. My favorite show. The mailbag. Okay. First is from Gina. Gina says, Gianni, what are some of your hobbies these days? What is it that keeps you young? Young? Uh-oh. Walking. This family show. Yeah. Walking and, and, and basically I'm 90% vegan now. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, really? Yep. Yep. Good for you. I'm having the same foods, but it's basically all plant-based. So I'm eating meatballs. I'm having sausage and peppers, but it's all plant-based. <laughs> okay. How's it taste? That's the main Unbelievable. Thing. Who's making this stuff for you? Well, I'm I'm actually experimenting now, and I found three brands that I'm going to make products. White Label, it's called, for Corleone yeah. Fine Italian. Because I'm coming out with a, a vegan line, not me, but the whole company. We yeah. have two sauces already. Our marinara is a uh, vegan. Uh, tomato basil is vegan. So now we're going to come out with some products that are vegan because so many people are becoming vegan, including myself. That, I wouldn't have believed if somebody would have told me that. If, if, if the Pope would have told me, Gianni Russo is going vegan, I would have said, That's, this is your first lie you ever told, Pope. Well, I'll tell you right now. I weigh 169. I never felt any better than I have in my life. Friends are coming up to me and saying, what are you doing? You, how'd you lose so much weight? And I think it's, you know, that. And I, I drink about a gallon of water a day. And it just flushes everything out of me. It's it's working. It's working, and that's that's my new hobby. Who knows? All right. You, you may live to be seventy nine. You never know. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right. Next is from Justin. Justin says, "Johnny, what has been your favorite place to travel to outside the U.S.? Been itching to get away lately." The Amalfi Coast. Go either April or May, or. September and October. Don't go in the summer. It's too touristy. I love the Amalfi Coast. If you want to just be tranquil, eat good food, great, you know, great weather. Obviously, then there's, there's always the norms for Monaco and all that, but I love the Amalfi Coast. All right. Next is from Eli. Eli says, Patrick, Patrick, you have a great presence on the podcast. Have you ever done other radio or television work? Uh, I'm on, I'm on a other podcast occasionally. I'm, I'm on as guests. I do a little public speaking every now and then, but not since uh, COVID has struck. Uh, that's about it. Nothing spectacular. He's a natural. That's it. That's hey, what I tell him. Hey. Look at you. This hey. is your first, Megan, too. You're a natural. People love you. <laughs> is this your, I, I, I just took it for granted. This is your first podcast, isn't it, Megan? It is, correct. Thank you. Could have fooled us. <laughs> <laughs> Next. All right. Next one is from George. George says, Gianni, I know you've told it before, but like so many other of your stories, I need to hear them over and over again. Will you repeat some of the ones you have told about Elvis Presley? 
Elvis, I mean, Jesus. The, the famous one I love is we've been watching television with the guy. He's so nuts. The sun was yep. coming up, and we watching a Western, and the next thing I know, the couches and chairs are being thrown over in the living room up in Suite 3000 of the International Hotel. And he's got his two... He When he got mustered out, the Army gave him two gold-plated 45s. Now, anybody's ever shot a gun... A forty-five is a big gun. It's got a kick. And he's shooting, and he didn't realize me and my crew, we all had guns too because we were all licensed in Nevada. I mean, we put more holes in that suite. Thank God we were in the penthouse and nobody was living upstairs because we'd probably been locked up for somebody being accidentally shot. Your but ears that, must have rang for a week. Oh, my God. But, no, the reason it didn't... Because all the sliding doors were open and the penthouse was wide open. I, mean, I, I tell you, he, I mean, to me that was, a cra I mean, there were so many, many stories with Elvis. But what a nice guy. And that's the only time, you know, when they talk about the, the, the Memphis Mafia, his friends supplied him with those drugs. They could have yeah. kept them alive, man. What a shame. What a shame. What a talent. Well, what was this thing? Pills, right? Yeah, everything. I think he, what, he had 50 pounds of fetus in him when he, he did the autopsy. He was Fecal matter, not fetus. He wasn't pregnant. Fe feces, not fetus. Feces, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that'd be something. Feces. There is a difference. Oh, I'm sure. I don't know. <laughs> what do I know? Hey, I never said no, I was I'm smart. Kidding. <laughs> Stop. I was just You're kidding. It was just a silly thing to say. Moving on, next question. All right. Next is from Anthony. Anthony says, hi, everyone. Hope all is well. My question is to Gianni. Did you know Lucille Ball? If so, any good stories? Thank you. I love Lucille Ball. I was a backgammon player. She was too. We used to go to doubles in Beverly Hills. It was built just for backgammon. Doubles is a big, you know, term in, in, the, in the backgammon world, and that's when it was fashionable. No, I love Lucy. And I used to play with her here when she was in New York at the club here, which is downstairs in Sherry, Netherlands, which is, a, you know, one of my treasured hotels in New York just because of my past with them. Yeah, Lucille Ball was a fabulous person, if she liked you. All right. Well, that is all I have for today. Well, we want to thank you so much as Pat mentioned, we're in our fourth year, and it's all because you keep supporting us. Send the cards and letters, reviews, bring more guests, tell your friends we love you. We're going to have a lot of surprises coming up in the next couple of months. We got new books, uh, maybe even a TV show. There's so many things happening. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. Pat, Megan, see you next Pat, week. everybody. Good night, guys. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but Thank just Thank you call for tuning me. in to the Hollywood call Godfather podcast. 
You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. Call me. Don't be afraid. You can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around.